Hello, I'm Matt Carpenter, and this is the Good Life Podcast. Hello, glad that you could join us today. Want to look today at the story of someone who's usually not discussed except as a foil in the Bible. But before we talk about the person, I want to talk about a trait that's well known, the trait of piety. We hear of piety, especially in the Bible, and we think of piety as devotion to God. Someone who's pious is someone who reads his Bible, someone who prays, someone who goes to church. That's a pious person. But piety is a lot more full than our vertical relationship to God. It begins with our relationship to God, but doesn't end with that relationship. Uh, Historically, piety continues in our relationships with our authorities and also with our neighbors and those uh, over whom we have authority. It's a matter of fulfilling our responsibilities. So for the ancient Romans and Greeks, but especially with the Romans, we find a lot more of this. Piety is something that comes through doing what we are called to do for those who have gone before us, for our, uh, say, our parents, for those who are in authority over us, our leaders, and it begins with devotion to the gods in the ancient Roman sense, but with doing the things that we're supposed to do in every sphere of our lives. So what Martin Luther calls the the different stations or the the different places of our life, those those realms, whether the church, at home, or in the workplace, including the civil government. So piety, though, is fulfilling responsibilities then towards our civil leaders, towards our fathers who have gone on before us. That's also called tradition. Our authorities who are dead, who have gone before us and who give us their examples. And it also, though, continues by fulfilling our responsibilities for those who are under us. So a pious man is one who protects and provides for his family. And so it begins with God, but it flows in everything we do. The most famous example of ancient piety is that of Aeneas from Virgil's long poem, The Aeneid. Virgil was pious in, excuse me, Aeneas was pious, most famously when he carried his father out of the burning city of Troy in the Trojan War. But there's many other examples of Aeneas' piety. He was loyal and he fulfilled his responsibilities to his country. He fulfilled his responsibility to the princess Dido, but he also fulfilled his responsibility even after his father had died. His father comes to him later on in a dream and tells him to go found a new Troy, which we know is Rome. There's other examples we could talk about of Nias piety. 
But when you take that idea of one who fulfills his responsibilities, that gives us a great light to look at the lives of two men in the Old Testament. And again, one is usually overlooked, and that is the story of David and Uriah. We're accustomed to King David being the good guy, going all the way back to when he fought Goliath. He was, he was pious in that. He was fulfilling his responsibilities. He was a pious man toward Saul, even though his authority tried to kill him. He had the opportunity to kill Saul multiple times and did not. So David rose through the ranks. He eventually became king, and he was a pious man until we get to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And in 2 Samuel 11, we usually neglect what it says because we, we, we go straight to his sin. But it said specifically in verse 1, as the year expired, as the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So David was not leading his men in battle. He commissioned Joab to lead his men. Now, we don't know why he didn't lead his men, any number of reasons, but we see here at the beginning, David is not pious. He is not doing what he is called to do. And then the very next thing that happens, we know he gets up in the evening and, of course, he sees Bathsheba and he takes her to himself and so on. You can read the rest of the story. She comes to be pregnant with David as the father. And David says, I need to cover this sin. So he asks for Uriah to return. Now, of course, David's household knew about this sin. This sin was not really quiet. David said he sent messengers, plural, and took her. Now, there's plenty of debate about whether or not this was Bathsheba. Was she willing? Was she not? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. It does not say that. It does not use any violent terms in David taking her. But that's that's not what I want to talk about. So we'll leave that aside for right now. But there's certainly possibilities here that there's more to this than Bathsheba only doing what she was afraid she would cause her harm. Regardless, when Uriah comes, David wants to send Uriah to back to his, that is Uriah's house, to be with his wife to cover David's sin. Now, I don't know for sure, but it seems like Uriah has what would have some idea of what's happened. Because he's called back in the middle of this battle. And Uriah, we know, will not go back to his wife. That's what David wants. He wants him to go back to his wife to cover his to cover David's sin, but Uriah will not. So David feigns asking how the battle's going, and Uriah answers his questions. And David said, go back to your house. 
spend time there. And so Uriah goes from David's presence, but he does not leave. Uriah is loyal. He is pious. He is doing what his men need, which is not going and spending time with his wife. He's remaining faithful to his immediate responsibility. And David is disturbed. So David asks Uriah, I mean, he says, why did you not go to your house? So at this point, it really seems even more obvious that David is all but telling Uriah, go be with your wife. So I, I I won't die on this hill, but I think that Uriah knows exactly what's happened by now. And while Uriah is pious, he is loyal to his men, he's loyal to God, he's loyal to David, Uriah will not cover his king's sin. We have to remember that. Piety does not extend to protecting sin. So David tries even more. David says, okay, that's fine. Uriah, Uriah, you can stay here. And so then David tries to get him drunk. So it said, 2 Samuel 11, 13, David called him and Uriah ate and drank before him and that David made him drunk. And even in his drunken state, he did not go back to his house. Drunkenness, which whenever you're you're drunk, it allows you sometimes to, to do what you wouldn't normally do when your senses were all there, which is what David was hoping. But even there, Uriah was loyal. So, that next day, when David finds out, he sends Uriah to Joab, the captain of the army, with Uriah's own death warrant. And again, we don't know for sure, but it's entirely possible that Uriah may he may know exactly what's going on. David tells Joab to send the men out to the worst part of the battle and then everybody else withdraw. Make sure Uriah dies. And he did exactly that. He put Uriah with the valiant men. This is not the first place that we see Uriah with the valiant men. In uh, the book of 1 Chronicles, Uriah is listed with David's mighty men. So David's 30 most faithful, trusted warriors. Of all the soldiers in Israel, Uriah is one of the 30 greatest. And we see Uriah is pious. David is not. And Uriah is killed. He dies because of his piety. He's loyal to his men, loyal to his God, and loyal to his king, but not to cover his king's sin. And he died. We see that it says David's commands were carried out. And not only did Uriah die, 
to cover David's sin. But there was a loss of other lives as well. Joab expected the king to be upset that they took a loss. We see that in 2 Samuel eleven twenty. Joab anticipated the king to be angry. So Joab makes sure that if the king does get angry, he says, oh, by the way, Uriah is dead. This is something you would see in ancient pagan literature. A, a scheming, conniving king who is frustrated at the goodness, at the loyalty, at the piety of one of his soldiers who will not cover his sin. And so he, he has him killed. And in the process, other men die. We don't know who they are, but we know other men died as a result. Now, it did not end there. Of course, David took Bathsheba to be his wife. We know that his son died. And of course, in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet tells him the story of his sin through the parable of a rich man who had many sheep and then a poor man who had one small lamb. And when a traveler comes, the rich man, instead of taking one of his many sheep, he takes the one man's poor lamb, the only lamb he has. And David renders judgment. David says that rich man must die and repay fourfold. He pronounces judgment on himself. He didn't know it at the time, but he did. And when Nathan says, you are the man. At this point, that's where David's piety begins to return. Because in pagan literature, what would happen there is that the king would then kill the prophet who confronts him to further cover his sin. But David does not. And this is the distinction. Just because piety was not shown in the past does not mean it's dead. David was a man after God's own heart. And even though he sinned, he was still restored. And we see that his piety returns. After the, the situation where his son dies, and he, he proceeds, he goes on, we know, of course, Psalm 51, the great psalm of David's cry to God for repentance. But then, at the very end, we see the restoration of David's public piety. Because it says in 2 Samuel 12, 26, that Joab was again fighting against Rabbah and the children of Ammon. And Joab calls David and said, David, you need to get here to the battle. I'm going to get the glory if you're not here. So David returns. It said he gathered the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it. So we see here that David is fulfilling his responsibility as the king. So the piety of David, which abandoned, which he abandoned in 1 Samuel 
11, he returns to that piety. Now, David is never the same king after this. David will have multiple problems with his household afterwards. His son Absalom will rebel, and, and we know that, that that's the major story that happens after this. But I want to just consider Uriah. Uriah is not often held as a, a hero, but I believe he should be. We have many heroes in Scripture, and, and we don't have many words from Uriah. But the words we do have are words filled with the understanding of his responsibility. Because when David said, why didn't you go to your house? The words we have of Uriah are these. The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I go then to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not. I will not go to my wife. I will not go to my house. I will not take my rest until the battle is over until I have fulfilled my responsibilities. David receives a first-hand lesson in piety from one of his 30 mighty men, and it infuriates him. And Uriah likely knew exactly what he was doing. He likely knew the consequences of his actions. And he died faithful. He and those men who were left to themselves were fighting not just for themselves. We know that he said the ark and Israel and Judah abide in the intense. God and the men of Israel are fighting and I cannot remain by your very soul, O King. We need to learn from this. Our responsibilities do not end until the time comes when the Lord calls us away. When He relieves us of those responsibilities. We must be sure once we put our hand to the plow, we do not take it back. Piety requires us to fulfill our responsibilities in every station of our life, in our job, in our calling as husbands, as fathers, as grandsons, as sons, as and for ladies, of course, daughters, mothers, wives, all of this, that's in our, in, our, in our work, in our work in the church, everything that we have. We're called to serve, to fulfill our responsibilities, beginning with our responsibility to God and continuing in our responsibility to everyone else. So let's learn from Uriah, but also learn from David. David was restored. And if your life 
is one where you've not been pious, where you've sown seeds of impiety. You've not fulfilled your responsibilities. You've slacked off at times. Just like for David, there is repentance. Take the example of these men. Learn and walk. Now start by the grace of God, confess your sin, and walk in the piety to which you're called. This opportunity is open to every person. So, be like Uriah. Show piety as he did, even in the face of contradiction from the authority to whom he was loyal. I look forward to talking with you again next time. Thanks for joining me today.